Hello, magic seekers, and welcome to It Turns Out She's a Witch. We're your hosts, Laura and Shannon, and, and welcome, welcome to, to our, our podcast coven. She's a Witch podcast would like to begin today by acknowledging the Darkinjung people, traditional custodians of the land on which we record the podcast, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. And hello to our beautiful podcast coven. We are back for another episode of Turns Out She's a Witch and it is just dear Laura and I today. Just the two of us. Just the two of us. (laughs) Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming back. Absolutely. We're always thrilled that you tune in each week. um, Yeah, still slightly surprised. (laughs) (laughs) We had a beautiful response to our last two episodes with Rhiannon from The Spiritual Toolbox and Beautiful Cass from Mm. The Wild Empire Official. So, yeah, thank you for reaching out to those of our listeners that sent the DM and mm. the the episodes resonated. So thank you. Yeah, and they both have some beautiful, you know, social media presences and wonderful work that they do. So obviously we encourage you to go over there and check them out and see what resonates and, and follow those little breadcrumbs. That's what it's all about. We love supporting other people that we meet along the way. We certainly do. And today's episode is kind of like a catch-up of what's Mm -hmm. happening lately because we do have another two special guests coming up for the future two episodes. We do, we Uh, do. Yeah, which we're very excited about. So we thought we would just, um, yeah, do a little touch base today and tell you all what's happening now that we've clicked over into autumn and March. Mm -hmm. Holy moly, where did Mm -hmm. that three months or two months go? It's just crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> so the day that this app is being released is the full moon in Virgo. And, yeah, we encourage everyone to do some kind of ritual to mark the full moon. So if you're not sitting in circle with other people, then definitely writing down all that no longer serves you and burning it tonight is a perfect time for release and also for things being illuminated that might not be working in your world. So the full moon usually brings everything to the surface emotionally, uh, but it is a good time for kind of sitting back and having a look at things and going, yep, that's not serving me anymore and I'm ready to move on and let that go. So just take some time today to to think about that and to have some reflection. Mm. Just linking that also, Shannon, to throw it out there and put you on the spot, so to speak, from the beautiful dark moon circle that I attended in your workshop a couple of weeks ago and there was a lot of talk about being prep work for this upcoming full moon. So anyone that was there and anybody else, you know, who was doing some intentional or ritual work on the dark moon, that's the time that it goes through to fruition, right? Yes, yes, a full moon 
things, the seeds that you planted back on the new moon, um, you should start seeing some growth there or things shifting and changing. So that is, yeah, I'm very glad you mentioned that actually because it's not all about release. It is about fruition as well. Ties it together and, you know, for those that are playing along at home, so to speak, and being a bit more intentional in the cycles and following them and, hey, let's be real, sometimes there's more time in our life to do that than other times but that's when you can really start perhaps to see the effects or you can really start to strengthen your connection with the cycles and and build that and be more Mm. intentional and, you know, all of those things that we love talking about and we also know that this is the real world and sometimes there's more space in our life to do that than others. So it's a good Mm. reminder. I'm glad that this is coming out on a full moon and it did just prompt this little reminder in the conversation because it's stuff that we generally do know but uh, however often that we can be intentional with it can can wax and wane just like the moon does and that's okay. Absolutely, yeah, for sure. <sighs> and also um, on the full moon, another thing that we touched on with Cass was about putting your crystals out under the full moon oh. and clearing yep. and we had the conversation, yeah, yep. about, you know, that doesn't resonate for Cass. So yep. maybe you want to put your crystals on the ground. Mm -hmm. on this full moon or perhaps you just want to save your house or even clean your house it's Mm -hmm. a good time to to clear out and um yeah yeah, and let go Mm. Mm. let it go baby let it go (laughs) have a bath like there's so many things you can do and it just is whatever resonates for you yeah yeah an ocean swim it's always lovely as well Mm. 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 so many things there is whatever floats your boat 100 percent and also, like autumn, we are now shifting yes. into autumn for us here in the Southern Hemisphere. And also yesterday was my 44th birthday. Yeah, this is so weird talking about it in I know because we're recording beforehand. <laughs> I love that. It's so cool. But, yeah, I hope like you had me. such a good day yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I know I had a good day with you <laughs> going out to lunch. <laughs> So weird, isn't it? So, yeah, we're recording this on Saturday and my birthday is on Monday, but, Mm -hmm. yeah, 44. So um, all the fours. A new new season of my life and I'm I'm looking forward to it. I've always felt 44 was going to be a shift for me. Oh, Um, wow. True. Yeah. Can you say more on that or not really? It's more of a feeling. Um, More of a feeling. Like I feel just like I guess with my spiritual growth and, um, and it's all culminating when I look at, yeah. where I am right now you know the studio is now open and for sure. I'm doing yeah. this work and so it makes sense that yeah this the 44th stage. year is about stepping into that role of you know yeah. holding a circle and teaching and doing that sort of stuff again which is lovely yeah absolutely sorry mm. I'm somewhat distracted as my phone's just going off even though it's on do not disturb that I've never known that to happen before but anyhow <laughs> random yeah and yeah we are also heading towards Marbon. So I thought I'd mention that today because, as I said, we've got two future episodes coming up with interviews, so we won't be talking about Marbon when it comes up. Um, so it's happening here on the south on Tuesday, the 21st of March. So it's also known as Autumn Equinox. And for our cousins in the north, they will be celebrating Spring Equinox, also known as Ostara. So no matter what side of the globe you're on, it will be a time of equal daylight and darkness. And for us, we'll be readying ourselves for the cooler months ahead and we start our descent into winter and our Mm. days becoming shorter. 
And in the north, you'll be getting ready for new growth of spring and your days stretching out and getting longer. So if you want to find out more, please look at our previous three seasons where we (laughs) delve into all the associated correspondences and suggested rituals, deities to work with, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because, um, yeah, because as I said at the start of this season, we're not going to delve into that this season because we've already done it twice. So each each Sabbath has two episodes hidden in our podcast library. So, um, (laughs) yeah. Please seek those out if you want more information. Filed away. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's very true. It's very true. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so in regards to autumn, how are you kind of preparing? Uh, Well, I'm glad you asked that, actually, because I did tell you that for this episode I kind of went a a little bit more abstract and I was looking into autumn as a season and the daylight and um, at work I am doing some well-being work with nursing staff um, and I was looking at a calendar and trying to instigate a calendar and have a different well-being uh, theme or focus for the month. So the month of March according to the Groove workplace well-being calendar is all about sleep. So that got me curious uh, to look at sleep patterns, wind down rituals, what can support good sleep and what can take away from good sleep. So uh, being the nurse that I am by background, I looked into the hormones then. Of course, that led me to uh, cortisol and melatonin. And I'm sure these days there's much more information that's greatly well, widely accessible to people. So it's likely that we might have heard the names of these hormones before and especially with links to stress and sleep. And so I thought I'd just go into that uh, with relevance to autumn. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've prepared some information. Are you, would you like me to read it out? Oh, I would love that, dear Lara. <laughs> so it doesn't sound very sexy talking about cortisol and mel- melatonin, um, as I was saying before we hit record. But it's, it's, well, I find it interesting and informative. So you can let me know what you think. You find it a turn on. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) It's just the nerd in me and like the curiosity and the seeker that likes to understand mechanisms and also really wigs out on how they line up. Mm. So hopefully by the end of it, we're we're all, we all can see that too. So cortisol and melatonin, the sleep and wakeful hormones. Chances are we've heard about these hormones before, but I just felt like going over the relationship between these guys and the seasonal effect of autumn and, of course, Marbon in the southern hemisphere that we've got coming up for the Wheel of the Year. So melatonin is a hormone that is produced by the pineal gland in our brain. It is a circadian rhythm regulator. So our circadian rhythms are what controls our body's wake and sleep cycles. So melatonin levels are typically at their highest during the dark hours, allowing our circadian rhythm to do its thing and let us sleep and rest. Now, cortisol and melatonin have an inverse relationship, meaning that when one is high, the other is low. Melatonin is sensitive to light, and it's this exposure that triggers our brain to stop producing melatonin and instead increase our levels of cortisol, 
which often does get a bad rap. See, it's known as a stress hormone. Yeah, that's and how I knew it. Yeah, that's right. Well, it is. So, however, in today's modern lives, it's a common occurrence for us to hear of cortisol levels being sustained at a higher level for a longer period of time. And it's true that this does have um, many undesirable and unhealthy side effects because that's not what it was meant to do. So we do mm. suffer those side effects. But in the truest purpose of stress hormones, adrenaline is another one, mm-hmm. the increase in the level of these guys, uh, especially cortisol at this time, is to literally wake us up out of our resting state of slumber. So that's why our melatonin drops cortisol cortisol rises mm-hmm. to literally rouse us out of a sleep to to wake us up so not to literally stress us out but it's a stress mm. hormone because we need that response in order to stop being relaxed and to just wake up and get on with our day yeah wow so when uh and this is when adrenaline comes into it as well so when they're sustained for higher periods of time uh you know way back in caveman so the story goes uh if we'd been chased by a i don't know a lion Mm -hmm. we would have a rush of uh, like adrenaline or cortisol to get us out of danger but Mm -hmm. then we would rest again and those levels would come down but because in modern day life we're so far removed from the response and the stress response in relation to what it's for um, there's a bit of a disconnect between our hormones just firing off because we're always stressed, even though we're not in danger. Our yeah. body doesn't know that. It's just going, oh, I need to keep performing at a higher level, but mm. we're not in danger. We're just on the on the hamster wheel, so to speak. So mm-hmm. without being able to consciously understand that that's what our stress hormones are doing and then to intentionally wind down and engage relaxation techniques just this hormone response will continue to be out of whack so just being aware of that I think um knowing or being a bit more informed of that response um we can do things to to help ourselves such as relaxation techniques or practicing mindfulness deep breathing anything that allows our body to return to a more equilibrium state and not continually going from one thing to the next to the next without any downtime you're always maintaining a high level of stress hormones and then our body doesn't come back to equilibrium so if we have a constant high level of cortisol it doesn't leave enough time for our body to then have our cortisol dip and have melatonin rise again to allow us to sleep because if we have too much cortisol in our body it means there's no room for melatonin yeah that makes sense Good. Ish. (laughs) (laughs) So generations ago when people woke up with the sun and went to bed near sunset, our sleeping schedule was regulated by natural light. Our ancestors didn't have artificial light, so there was nothing to interrupt the daily system of melatonin levels rising when the sun set and dropping when the sun came up. So as far as being here in the Southern Hemisphere goes, and as our Wheel of the Year episodes have discussed at length now, autumn and Marvin is the natural season of slowing down for this after the summer's sun pace, reflecting, shedding and releasing what no longer serves, like you were saying before, <laughs> um, and what we don't wish to take with us into our death and rebirth that is our winter. 
So we feel this on a cellular level. Our bodies, our hormonal response to this slower season where the daylight hours are lessening and the darker hours increase is our natural prompt for more resting and nesting and shorter wakeful productive hours and that is directly correlated to the hormones of melatonin and cortisol. So I do also spare a special thought for the shift workers that would be very familiar with the unnatural feeling of working unusual hours. And studies have shown that some people can run a couple of different circadian patterns, perhaps one during a working pattern and another for days off. And, a re and as recently as yesterday, I was speaking with a scientific officer for the sleep investigation unit in the hospital that I work in, and she was telling me that there does not appear to be detrimental effects of having to have your block hours of sleep broken into two shorter blocks um, of smaller duration if need be. <clears throat> Excuse me. So she says aim for around seven hours within a 24-hour period, but if you need to break it up to like a four and a three, uh, recent studies have shown there's not too many detri detrimental wow. long-term health effects if, if you have to do that. So I think... yeah. For shift workers to hear that because you often hear what sleep deprivation you know how bad it can mm. be um but just knowing that there's some ways around it and there's things that you can do so it's not as bad i thought I'm that sure might, yeah new new mamas would appreciate oh, that too. yeah <laughs> and she also said uh you might have heard it before too but sleep deprivation is equivalent to having a blood alcohol limit of 0 0.5 or level no mm -hmm. i've never heard that wow yeah, it's pretty pretty bad. It basically makes you drunk on tiredness. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah. Um, so the other tip she shared, which I'd like to pass on, is to if you're a napper, if you want to power nap, just keep them under 20 minutes as any longer can feel harder to wake from and likely have the opposite effect of the intended power nap as it will leave you feeling groggy. So you go mm. into a slightly different sleep cycle um, after 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, so lastly, Shannon, I know we recently did an episode on our daily rituals and I'd love to encourage our listeners to have a think now about including an intentional wind down routine or routine before, um, in the hour before they go to bed. So we did touch on that, but coming from an intentional wind down to really slow down, cut off your cortisol, increase, um, and support your melatonin. What can you think about to do so you can help yourself in that space as well? And so I love how even the seasons when we're living with them um, gives us that natural prompt and you can see that reflected in our body. And that's so mm. cool. It is. I love that. Thank you for sharing. And Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I, learned, I learned things. I always learn things from these podcasts. And yeah. yeah. Well, I love learning. I love looking into things. And for super smart people in these areas, I'm sure that was, you know, basic overview. But I think that's all we need. We need some information and some basic understandings in the systems. And I, I love how it's reflected from mm. the days of light, you know, getting shorter and the dark is getting longer and this season is restful. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just love Definitely. that. Mm. Oh, that's a good reminder. I think sometimes we do need a little kick in the bum about um, basic yeah. hygiene, such as sleep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think um, this summer, for me in particular, has been go, go, go. Like it has yeah. been so Which much action. And yeah. yeah, I think it is for most people. You know, you're really, it's the peak of socialising, it's the peak of energy, it's the peak yeah. of like productivity, all that yeah. kind of stuff. And then it's that conscious choice of, okay, now we've 
stepped into March. We're stepped over the threshold of mm-hmm. autumn and Marbon coming up and it's, yeah, yeah, there's signals to it's time to start taking things down a notch and, yeah, yeah, not that we're going to hibernate, which would be <laughs> lovely, wouldn't it? But <laughs> Oh, my goodness, this mama bear would love a hibernation. <laughs> oh, my gosh, that would be just delicious. But anyway, mm. um, yeah, but that conscious slowing down a little bit. Mm. I know mm. I'm there. I really need to. It's, mm-hmm. I'm feeling as we were just discussing <laughs> off air, I'm feeling rather exhausted at this point yeah. in time. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, it's just my body going, time to slow down. Yeah, your body's saying it's time to slow down and your brain's like, I have this, this and this to do before I can <laughs> slow down. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, which is understandable with um, the Asher Moon Studio being open recently and, of course, there's lots going on in that space. And so naturally you're not winding down just yet, but hopefully yeah. you'll reach a next sort of cycle where you've done all the groundwork and everything That's and it. you can back off a bit. So he's yeah, hoping that he is, can balance that out. <laughs> that is a good point. It has been um, literally two months of groundwork, just laying the foundations for all yeah. the workshops and yeah. the circles and getting, you know, all those systems and structures in place and the website and all the, you know, not fun stuff. of All the bits. All that, all the behind the scenes and the back end of things. But yeah. um, I do know once that's completely set up and it's rolling, then, yeah, things yeah. will be a bit easier, which will be good be worth it it's just it's a it's a long slog yeah yeah yep. it's a big big process launching a business that's for mm. sure <laughs> I'm lucky just lucky lucky well everyone's lucky that you love it and I'm really stoked that you've sort of really included me in being in that space and I love being there and I've had the absolute privilege of um being at loads of your workshops now and I bloody love them and I'm really grateful that you do include include me in that world of yours and um, it's a beautiful one and it is so magical and I know not all our listeners can come because unfortunately not mm. everybody lives that close to you. We have some many beautiful international listeners but I know the locals that can and do come love them too because they say so every time they're there. <laughs> yeah, oh, I feel privileged every time people join me. Yeah. for a workshop or a circle it's yeah it's, I pinch myself it's like wow look all these people came here and yeah so experiencing special. this yeah it's beautiful it's really beautiful um, and I think after us you know holding this vision for literally three years and then it's yeah. finally here and we've opened the doors and things are happening, happening. It's, it's really lovely yeah mm. it's so yeah. it's just beautiful <laughs> to see and it's a beautiful to be a small part of and I'm such a huge fan I've always described myself as an Asher Moon slut and that <laughs> oh well I love it thank you thank you you for your love and I get around (laughs) she's at all the workshops I am she's a workshop tart I am well I've done what have I done I've done the goddess blessing bowls yep I was there for the entertainer's delight yes done that um, and you're going to be there for the teacup workshop yep. coming up next weekend. Yep. That's right. Yeah. 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 So all oh, good things. It is. It's fun. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. yeah. But actually speaking of um, the studio, for those local, mm-hmm. I am going to be having a new moon circle on Wednesday the 22nd of March mm-hmm. from 6 till 8 p.m. And it will have a marble flavour because it is the day after equinox. So, so cool. 
bookings are open for that and I hope to see you there. But are you going to talk about cortisol and melatonin? Maybe you can. (laughs) (laughs) There will definitely be an autumn theme and in every one of my moon circles I do like to do some kind of either a spell or a ritual Mm. or something that is pertaining to that moon cycle Mm. or the season or the Sabbath that's kind of around that ritual. So I don't know what we'll be doing that night yet because it usually comes to me a few days before, but it'll be good. Trust talk me. About, <laughs> talk about that too, just quickly. Sorry to put you on the spot again. When you say, I don't know what exactly because it comes to me a couple of days before, mm-hmm. what do you mean by that? Say more. Um, well, as you would know from being in my circles, I do a guided meditation um, for each circle. And yeah, usually I channel that mm-hmm. um, either the day or two days before it because I feel like I've got to be in that energy to know what to share with everyone in that yep. circle space. And also I find like as the bookings come in and um, I guess that energy is building of the different people that will be there and their needs, um, obviously I don't know beforehand, but there's always a common thread with circle is usually a theme um yeah it always amazes me how it all kind of comes together and the right people are there for that right you know time and ritual space so mm. yeah so in regards to the marbon flavored new moon um mm-hmm. yeah it'll come to me what we're going to do I usually love to add some kind of crafting element mm. so people uh-huh. have something to take home and then work with for that two weeks mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, your process is something special, how you've described it, how it comes to you and, and you allow that. You, you allow yourself to channel through after you've sat in it and you've allowed the people that are going to come to just, you just allow that to unfold. I think it's great. and It's it's beautiful being in that space with you and you just, you really truly do feel so held and um, and empowered at the same time. So beautiful place to be. Mm. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. So on to other things. Mm-hmm. I thought I would talk about a current book I'm reading mm-hmm. and it is called The Occult Diary of R. Ogilvie Crombie. So <laughs> I'm only, it's awesome, I'm only halfway through this particular book um, but it got me on the tangent of sharing, which I've been meaning to share yeah. for ages now on the podcast, um, a place called Findhorn and a book called Encounters with Nature Spirits, which is also by R. Ogilvie Crombie. Yeah. So I read um, this first book, Encounter with Nature Spirits, and absolutely loved it, and it was recommended by a friend when I just got home from Scotland back in 2019. <laughs> and I caught up with her and she was like, oh, my God, like, did you get to see Finehorn? And I'm like, what's Finehorn? And because we'd been in Inverness and apparently Finehorn is right near Inverness and I didn't find out about it until literally like the week after I got home, of course. So I'm going to have to go back. Um, I'm coming with you because oh, I lived in yes. Scotland for a little while. I'd never heard of it. I probably, yeah. even if I had heard of it at the time, not being anywhere ready, would have just been like, nah, I don't like saying that. <laughs> <laughs> These days I'd be like, send me there now. Oh, it is so up our alley, honestly. Yeah. Mm. Um, 
but yeah, I just couldn't believe I hadn't even heard of this place, but obviously divine timing. I wasn't meant to know until, you know. Uh, so I thought I'd share a little today about this wonderful man and his work. So I'll start off with Findhorn. So it's a because you kind of need to get your head around <laughs> this whole place and situation. Yeah, indeed. So it is located in the north of Scotland near Inverness, as I said, and I learned about it through Rock's book. Um, so R. Ogilvy Crombie, he's also known as Rock. Okay. And the visits and experiences he had um, there when he was in the Findhorn community. So according to Wikipedia, the Findhorn Foundation is a Scottish charitable trust registered in 1972, formed by the spiritual community at the Findhorn Eco Village, one of the largest intentional communities in Britain. It has been home to thousands of residents from more than 40 countries. The foundation runs educational programs for the Findhorn community and houses about 40 community businesses such as Findhorn Press and an alternative medicine centre. So from uh, the Findhorn website, it states, the Findhorn Foundation welcomes all expressions of spiritual growth among ourselves and our guests. As a community, we are guided by three core practices, inner listening, co-creation with nature, and work as love in action. So I thought that was really beautiful. Mm. And now a little history on Findhorn. So Peter and Eileen Caddy and Dorothy McLean unintentionally founded the Findhorn community in 1962. When they first came to northeast Scotland in 1957 to manage the Clooney Hill Hotel in Forres, they had all been on a disciplined spiritual path for many years. Now, Eileen received guidance from an inner source that she called the still small voice within. So you could say it is her higher self. Yeah. Um, and Peter ran the hotel in line with his guidance and his own intuition. So in this very unorthodox way, Clooney Hill swiftly became a very successful four-star hotel. However, after several years and a stint in the Trossachs, the hotel company terminated their employment. With nowhere to go and very little money, Peter, Eileen and Dorothy and the three young caddy boys moved to a caravan park in the nearby coastal village of Findhorn. So feeding six people on unemployment benefits was very difficult, so Peter decided to grow vegetables. The land in the caravan park was very sandy and dry, but he persevered. Now, in her meditations, Dorothy discovered that she was able to intuitively connect with the overlying intelligence of plants, which she called angels, and then she described them as devas, who gave her instructions on how to make the most of their fledgling garden. So she and Peter translated this guidance into action with amazing results. So in the barren, sandy soil of the Findhorn Bay Caravan Park, they grew huge plants, herbs and flowers, and most famously the now legendary 40-pound cabbages. <laughs> 40 pound? 40-pound cabbages. So like you've been to Scotland and yeah. the highlands, like how brutal is the weather up there? Like yeah. Boo and I were there in June, July, so the middle of their summer when we were um, in Inverness. And, yeah, we were, like, in boots and jeans and jackets yeah. and yeah. beanies. It was freezing. So Out in it. It is. It's no very protection. wild. Yeah, yeah, very wild weather, very um, fierce. Yeah. So um, word spread 
horticultural experts came and were stunned and this at this garden in Findhorn and then it became very famous. So other people came to join the caddies and Dorothy in their work and soon the original group of six grew into a small community committed to their spiritual path and expanding the garden in harmony with nature. So the community published a slim volume of Eileen's channeled guidance and she entitled it God Spoke to Me in 1967 and the word of this determined and spiritually orientated community to spread further still. Significant friends and supporters of the community in these very early days included English New Age pioneer Sir George Trevelyan, Scottish esotericist R. Ogilvy Crombie, also known as Rock, who I'm <laughs> going to speak about soon, mm-hmm. and Richard St. Barb Baker, the man of the trees. So in the late 60s, Peter and community members, in accordance with Eileen's guidance, built the park sanctuary and the community centre, buildings where the community met to meditate together and to eat together. Um, But sadly, these buildings were destroyed by two fires on the 12th of April in 2021. Hmm. Um, Really? Yeah, which is very sad. Um, so then becoming a centre of spiritual learning. So in 1970, a young American spiritual teacher named David Spengler arrived in the community with his partner, Myrtle Glines. He helped to define and organise the spiritual curriculum and a program of learning was established at the park. In 1972, the community was formally registered as a Scottish charity called the Findhorn Foundation. And in the 1970s and 80s, it grew to approximately 300 members. In an interesting turn, the foundation purchased Clooney Hill Hotel in 1975, (laughs) which had declined rapidly after the caddies' departure, and as a centre for workshops and the accommodation. And in 1983, it purchased the Caravan Park in Findhorn. So at the end of the 1980s, the Eco Village project at Findhorn began, contributing significantly to the development of the Eco Village movement worldwide. Wow. It's amazing, isn't it? Um, An eco-village defined as being ecologically, economically, culturally and spiritually sustainable was a logical development of the community's work with spirit and nature. There is now a great variety of eco-buildings, including homes made of recycled whiskey barrels. (laughs) Love that. Three wind turbines that supply 100% of the energy for the park, (sighs) averaged over the year, and a pioneering biological sewage treatment plant. It's called The Living Machine, which was Mm -hmm. the very first in Europe. In 1995, the Findhorn community and the evolving informal eco-village network organised a conference at Findhorn called Eco-Villages and Sustainable Communities for the 21st Century. From this initiative, the Global Eco-Village Network, GEN, was established and the foundation becoming one of its founding members. So the Findhorn Eco Village is a constantly evolving model using used as a teaching resource by a number of universities and school groups. The Findhorn Foundation College was established to provide a vehicle for academic programs and to host students and study groups from the local area and around the world. The Findhorn Eco Village was designated UN Habitat Best Practice as a model for holistic and sustainable living in 1998 which was reaffirmed in 2018. It won Charity of the Year in the UK People Environment Achievement Awards in 2017. So they have done 
so much, mm. so much um, for the environment, for eco-living, to raise awareness, incredible. Pioneers, that's well ahead of their time too. Ah, oh, very much so, very much so. And that's something that really struck me, um, especially with encounters with nature spirits. So um, Rock died in 1975, but the things oh. he speaks of in his books are so applicable to what is happening today yeah and I just think you know 1975 that was way before the technology we have now and you know internet and iPhones and all that sort of stuff so it's incredible the the insights he had back then um, from his connections with the elementals yeah oh I just got chills okay so So. (laughs) was that all just background information that's just background on <laughs> fine horn. So I wanted to give everyone a really good, um, yeah, a good ground. I love of what fine horn is, where it is, what they lot. do. Yeah, so, so cool. it's not all just fluff. It's not spiritual. Like mm-hmm. let's go sit and hold hands and sing kumbaya. I'm yeah. sure that goes on too. But mm. it's, they are hands in the dirt, making mm. a difference. So on to Rock and a little backstory on him. So Robert Ogilvy Crombie was born on the 17th of May, 1899. Oh. I know. Uh, and he died on the 8th of March, 1975. Wow. So also known as Rock, he was a Scottish supernatural enthusiast and a writer born in Edinburgh, Scotland. And he lived there for most of his life. So Rock abandoned his career as a scientist due to ill health, and he does speak about that in, in the book and moved from his townhouse in the city of Edinburgh to the country near Perth in Scotland to be able to have closer contact with nature. So at that time his health was really quite bad and it was suggested that he move out of the city because he had a lot of allergies and a lot of breathing problems and things like that. He had quite a bad heart as well. So he took himself um, out to this little cottage and lived there alone uh, for like 10 years. And during that time, you discover through his, he does a lot of journaling with his encounters. His, mm. He has all kinds of spiritual encounters, but he would write about it. So, um, so he has a science background, of course. He's journaling yeah, everything. Yeah. Everything. And he mm. would document it like number 1,672. So today this happened. And so it's, that's actually in his um, occult diaries. That's what yeah. I'm reading at the moment. So it's wow. really interesting to see Great. what happened. But it's quite clear that this time that he had by himself in solitude, um, he was unaware at the time, but it actually was on a ley line. So it was a, a oh, quite right. a, a strong, powerful okay. site that he was living on. And this kind of created this activation within cool. his body to be able to um, see the elementals and see this other realm that after reading the book, you understand is around us all the time, but mm. we just cannot perceive it with our human perceptions. Yeah, consciousness. And, you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But so, so he didn't know he was living on one. Yeah, he didn't know at the he time. Like he, ah. he he came to learn Realized that through, later. Yeah, once he wow. kind of um, gained this vision, I guess you could say. Gosh. And that's the thing that I love about it too. Like he was a scientist. He was mm. this, you know, elderly gentleman who um, I guess the furthest person you would look at and think they would be seeing fairies and seeing mm-hmm these kinds of beings and communicating with them you know what I mean like it's, yeah if he like, heard someone else reporting it he'd be less inclined to believe it because he was experiencing it it was like well 
<laughs> yeah. That's my yeah. science. <laughs> That's my exactly. proof. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. So um, his account of some of these experiences were published in a chapter of the Findhorn Garden, mm. a book about the early history of the Findhorn Foundation. Um, I'm pretty sure that's the one you I bought that to me. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. Which and I have not read in entirety. <laughs> well, you might have to, and then oh, we'll I know. Do a I like about a, it. A flicked. I've got a yes. We'll do another episode. Yeah, <laughs> we will for sure. Mm. Now, Crombie's verbal account of his encounters with these nature spirits, accompanied by photographic slides of nature, was a part of the educational program at Findhorn for many years. And he was cited by his friend, the Findhorn co-founder, Peter Caddy, as a major influence. Excuse me. And as I mentioned (laughs) before, (laughs) the first book I read was Encounters with Nature Spirits, co-creating the elemental with the elemental kingdom. And it truly opened me up um, to the world of plant spirits that we cannot see. So Rock speaks about his initial interaction at the Royal Botanical Gardens in Edinburgh with a small thorn named Kermos that led to encounters with the great god Pan. Mm. And throughout the book you learn about Rock's initiations into the realm of the elementals and the profound teachings um, that he was privy to, most of all that the elemental kingdom is vastly more powerful than that of our human one and possesses the ability to create far beyond our human means, and as he witnessed in the Findhorn Garden. And I'll read a little bit from the book about his encounter, and it explains a little bit about Pan too for our listeners that might not be aware of this particular god. Lovely. Thank you. My pleasure. (laughs) So I'll just find. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to kind of jump into a bit of a chapter here. So this um, chapter is called Meeting Pan on Iona. Mm. So through this and other encounters with Pan, I would come to a greater understanding of why Pan and the nature spirits were choosing to communicate with me. Here was a step towards the reconciliation of Pan and the world of the nature spirits with humanity. Because I was able to respond to him without fear, Pan could communicate with me and use me as a mediator between humanity and nature. This does not make me important in myself. I am simply a channel for his work. Vital to this reconciliation is the recognition of Pan's true nature. He is a great being, the god of the whole elemental kingdom as well as of the animal, vegetable and mineral kingdoms. People may feel uneasy in his presence because of the awe he inspires, but there is ought to be no fear. All human beings are afraid of me, he has said at our first meeting, not as a threat but with sadness. Did the early Christian church not take me as a model for the devil? That is why Pan is feared, because of the image projected onto him. This stigma must be lifted in order to re-establish the true link between humanity and nature. Pan has said to me he would prefer not to be represented in any material form at all. Yet if there must be, he insists on being accepted in our culture as the Greek myth depicts him, half human, half animal. There is a fitness about it in his symbolism. (laughs) The upper half represents intellect united with the powerful, mysterious, deep energy represented by the animal lower half, an energy not yet revealed in humanity. It is important to consider Pan and the nature spirits in their own right when they take on these human-like forms and not compare them with our own perceptions of human beauty. 
Some people assume that Pan must be ugly. This is far from the case. In his own right, he's one of the most beautiful beings I've ever seen. Only the horns on the forehead, the cloven hooves and the silky fine hair on the legs suggest the animal part. The legs themselves are human, not animal. It is very important to realise that though Pan can appear in such a form, he's not a being restricted to one place. The word Pan also means all, everywhere. Pan is a universal energy, a cosmic energy, which is constantly found throughout the whole of nature. He could appear personified in many different places at the same time and should never be thought of as restricted to a corner of the garden or sitting on a hilltop beside a bush. It may be helpful to consider why Pan and the nature spirits assume such forms. Their primary state is what may be termed a light body. It is a whirl or vortex of energy in constant motion. Nebulous like a fine mist, it glows with coloured light, sometimes one single colour, sometimes two or more, which do not mix but remain separate like the colours of a rainbow. It frequently changes colour and is often covered with a multitude of fine curved lines which appear to flow like liquid in a pipe, forming continually changing patterns of incredible beauty. These light bodies differ from each other in size and brilliancy, varying from pastel shades to strong, bright colours. All are beautiful, pure and luminous, glowing with inner radiance. They may be regarded as worlds of energy, but energy with intelligence. It is possible to see and communicate with these light bodies. However, the elementals or nature spirits cannot carry out their work with plants in these pure bodies. In this work, they use the energies channeled to them by the devas to build up an etheric body or etheric counterpart for each plant according to its archetypal pattern. The plant grows and develops within this counterpart. In order to fulfil their task, the nature spirits too must take on an etheric body. In esoteric knowledge, the etheric plane is made up of a fine energy substance from which is created the mould for every form we see manifest on the physical plane. Each material forms form has an etheric counterpart. That such a thing exists at all will be questioned by many people. At the moment, we cannot be scientifically proven, though no doubt this will be possible in the future. We do know ourselves to be far more than just our physical bodies. So it goes on and on and on and on, and I can keep <laughs> reading, but that gives you a good idea of Pan, the elemental kingdom, and yeah. the Fae, you know, how people perceive fairies. And throughout the book they do talk about that too, that it's often um, our imaginations that give them their their forms and like yeah, what sure. we perceive yeah. them to be. But I loved his description of the, these light orbs yeah. kind of thing, that that's their true form. Mm. ball of energy yeah yeah that's so cool it is so cool and when was that written oh gosh um he would have written that did you say 70s or after that well he died in 75 okay um so well before that yeah well before that 50s i'm not actually sure because it's got like the published it's got like when it's been published, but that was way after his death. Oh, the editions, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to have a look at that actually. I'm not sure when he actually wrote. Or maybe that's like I'm pretty sure a lot of this comes from his, his journals. journals. Yeah. And that's what I'm reading at the moment. Um, that was during his 10 years of solitude. 
After. Yeah, after a lot that of this, even. this happened after this. Um, so when he met Pan and um, started seeing all the elementals, he was back in Edinburgh and he was quite elderly back then. Oh, um, right. So he went back to Edinburgh. He went back to Edinburgh, yes. And he had this encounter um, with the first elemental, um, Kurnos, who was like a little fawn that he saw while he was sitting there. Um, yeah. Whereabouts in, in Edinburgh, I wonder? The botanical in the botanical gardens. gardens. Okay. Yeah, and he actually says he does tell you what tree he was sitting yeah. at and stuff. Oh, so wow. I would love to go I back know. there. Because I've I walked through say, there. Yeah, I dare say these trees and things would still be there, like they're big, massive, mm. beautiful trees. Yeah, it's pretty pretty amazing. Um, You've been to Edinburgh as well, obviously. Yes. And yeah, the castle. And did you ever walk up Arthur's Seat, the big sort of grassy mountain thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's Incredible. something special about that place too. Like we Definitely. Walk, it's, it's a big walk. It's a big yeah. high outcrop. It's probably the absolute incorrect term to call it, but I'm glad you know what I'm talking about. But I think there was something um, special about that spot. Definitely. I'm pretty sure because I know Edinburgh Castle sits on like an like an old volcanic, yeah, um, like rock the history kind of thing. And I think of the, that is, oh, is interesting. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Maybe have a future to do episode. It. Yeah, I think so. Actually, we'll have to do an episode on the history of Edinburgh Castle because I've heard mm. some. Well, there's and Edinburgh in and of itself, the 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 city. Yeah, we'll have to. Mm. Yes, definitely. A lot of witch trials and stuff happened mm. there too. Yeah. It was fascinating. It is. Uh, now another part of the book I thought I'd mention that I loved is about leaving a wild part in your garden for nature spirits. Yes. So, yeah, I just highly recommend this book to everyone. It took ages. I remember ordering it off Booktopia and it took forever to get here because I'm All pretty right. sure it gets printed on demand. Um, oh, wow. But it just made me think about my own garden and spaces completely different um, to include these beings, you know, that we often don't even notice or think about. So so anyway, I will read a little bit more from the book about the wild garden. So Rock's work with the nature spirits also pointed out to us the importance of the wild garden. In Britain, where there, are, there is a tradition of fine gardens, most invariably an area in each is left wild. There is also a folk custom among farmers of leaving a bit of land where humans are forbidden to go as the domain of the fairies and elves. One Sunday afternoon, Rock had accompanied a group of us on a visit to a local walled garden at Kingcorth. At one end of the landscaped area ran a stream with a wooden bridge across it. On the other side was a wild place, cool and dense in contrast to the neat and colourful beds on our side. Rock, obeying an impulse, wandered off across the bridge and into the foliage. Later he told us that beyond a certain point in the area he had suddenly felt like an intruder. There Pan appeared beside him and told him that this part of the garden was for his subjects alone and was to be respected. He said that in any garden, no matter what the size, where the full cooperation of the nature spirits is desired, a part should be left where, as far as possible, man does not enter. The nature spirits use this place as a focal point for their activity, a centre from which they work. Pan also told him that at Findhorn we did not have enough respect for our wild garden. Indeed, we had developed the habit of crossing this area when we went to the beach for a swim and right in the middle 
of it, Dennis had set up his tent. You can imagine how quickly he removed himself and his gear on hearing this message. (laughs) Thereafter, we made sure not to enter this area as seldom as possible. Mm. I reckon the nature spirits would be very happy with my garden at the minute. It's a little bit wild and woolly. <laughs> it's a it's a lovely way to look at, you know, an area with weeds. It's just wild <laughs> for the nature spirits. Yeah, I don't want to upset them. <laughs> well, we have left a strip. We've left um, on part of our property that borders our neighbour. It's probably two metres wide by I don't even know how long. It's basically long. Long, very, very yeah, long, okay. kind of mm. halfway up the the acreage, and we've left it. We've left it to grow wild, and it has got all sorts of things popping up in there. There's wow. like she, um, what do you call them? She oaks. There's, um, oh, I can't remember. Is it status? Status. I don't um, know. The beautiful purple flowers. I also noticed these gorgeous like yellow flowers. Like obviously, there's lots of birds, and they're pooping yeah. in there, and all these seeds. <laughs> but um, and there's so beautiful. Cool like long grasses and things, and they would be up to my chest now. Like it's yeah. so thick and deep and wow. um, I love it. But Matt, who we share our property with, yeah. was like, oh, we need to slash all this. And I was like, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> not, do not slash that. That's where the nature spirits are. And he That's was like, the wild okay. area. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like, like a good spot to um, put offerings. Yeah, yes. Yeah, mm. and I notice all the time so many birds in there, like little finches oh, and fairy wrens oh. and we have these like little bush chicken things that are kind of like the bright blue feathers and they yeah. get in there and because they can hide and, yeah, it's just it's our little wild area. It's beautiful. It sounds perfect. Mm. Actually, when we moved to this house, because um, this garden's virtually all the way around it, there was, and many of them have been overgrown for a very long time, there was little, um, like when I go in there and do clear it out, I find all these old wind chimes and there's all little, like little mosaic mirror tile things. And oh. it's just like, yeah, it's like it always reminds me of the perfect place for little fairies and things. I think they're very happy there being left alone with all their pretty things. Definitely. Well, it's yeah. said that they love bells yeah. and chimes and shiny objects you, and, yeah. yeah. You must have told me that. I'm pretty sure you did when um, Tracy and I interviewed you for Turns Out. She's psychic way back when. Yeah, wow. I think you must have mentioned it because it's always stuck with me and um, I think that's even before we moved here. So when I uncovered all this stuff, I was like, oh, look at all this. <laughs> I love it. And I love it that you left it there. Yep. For now. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but I am, um, yeah, I'm conscious of all the work that we're going to do one day of having a, a spot left alone. And coincidentally, just the shape of our land, there is actually a nature reserve that was, it used to be a part of our block of land, but years ago the council reclaimed it. So okay, that yeah. literally is just wild. <laughs> a wild, a wild garden. Yeah. I love it. It's kind of Beautiful. Cool. Yeah. Well, on the back of the book, I thought it I'd read this out too just to finish up with um, because it just sums up everything perfectly. Nice. And as I said, I highly recommend this book. I'll keep you posted with the occult diaries. Um, but, yeah, Encounter, Encounters with Nature Spirits is a beautiful read. I didn't want it to end. It was one of those books. Mm. It was just really beautiful. Um, so... 
It says here, Encounters with Nature Spirits is a reminder to us all the importance of our relationship with the nature kingdom. Through his example, Rock places emphasis on connecting and working in harmony with nature spirits. True co-creation with nature, working with rather than against the elemental kingdom, can bring about vital positive change to our endangered ecosystem. The elementals are open to working with humankind. The question is, are we as humans open to engaging with and respecting them again? Mm-hmm. Isn't that so, the truth? Oh, gosh, yeah. And then there's, um, it says on the back here, a crucial, a crucial message from Pan. Communicating with my subjects is not a garden game for the odd half hour when there is nothing better to do. It is of vital importance for the survival of mankind. Unless humanity comes to realise the dangerous stupidity of outraging nature and stops the ever-increasing rate of pollution, it will ultimately destroy itself. Wow. And this was, you know, way back when, yeah. pre-1975. So I can only imagine how pissed they'd be now. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. Wow. It's impactful. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So go out and get in your garden. Yeah. That's what I say. Recycle. Think oh, about yeah, that's right. how you're treating this planet. Yeah. What you can do. And we're yeah. all different in our capabilities and the capacity for change, but everybody's capable of doing something. Mm, even if it's just picking up some rubbish that you walk past in the street, just something. Exactly. Yeah. Beautiful. Thanks so much, Shannon. My pleasure. I hope everyone enjoyed that and look at your garden a little bit differently. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, do we have a divine tool of the week to finish off? I do. It's that time. And this has been much longer than I intended our episode. So thanks for (laughs) hanging out with us, guys. (laughs) It's always the way. I love how we always discuss, will that be enough? And it's like, yeah, we probably could have chopped this one in half. But anyway. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I know. Literally, I said to Boo before, I was like, I'm just going to record with Laura. It's just a quick app. Yeah. (laughs) It's a quick app today. Yeah, so not. (laughs) I said to my girls, it won't be long. And I've already had two taps. He done, he done. I was like, Miming charades. <laughs> but we are nearly done now. So it is Devotional of the Week. I'm going to talk about Paolo Santo, which is one of my favourites. And um, and I love that it's one of my favourites because it, it's a tree and it is found um, all throughout South America, including Peru, where my mum's from. So I do have a lot of love for it and I just thought I'd share some information that I've looked up (laughs) from Wikipedia and palosantosupply.com. Perfect. So it's a wild tree native to the Yucatan Peninsula, Peru and Venezuela and many other South American countries, like I said, and it's even found on the Galapagos Islands. Um, Palo Santo belongs to the same family as the frankincense and myrrh varieties of um, tree and shrub, which is a species of around 540 woody flowering plants, shrubs and trees. Palo is a traditional remedy for pain, inflammation and folk medicine has seen its resonant oils be used to make into a liniment to treat rheumatism or burnt to alleviate stress. Incense. Uh, can be made from the resin and burning small pieces of wood to experience its wide-ranging properties directly from the smoke and working with the essential oils are all ways in which we can work with the plant Palo Santo. 
so, yeah, palosantosupply.com describes the smell, and I'd like to see if you agree or disagree because to me yeah. it just smells like Palo Santo. But mm-hmm. um, they describe the smell of it as a mix of pine, mint, and lemon. Oh, I don't know about that one. That made I, my face yeah. do the same thing. But then I thought, like, because I know what it smells like, when you're trying to describe the smell to somebody else, I don't know. So it'd be interesting yeah, to see what maybe. people think. Pine, like, mint, and lemon. Pine, interesting. Lemon. Sometimes I get almost like a licorice twang to it. Yeah. Smell it's wise. definitely very unique, that's for sure. Yeah. Like yeah. nothing smells like Palo Santo. Yeah. Palo Santo smells like Palo Santo. Anyway, I thought that was interesting. (laughs) That is, yeah. Um, And they say it has for centuries been a harbinger for healing and good fortune. Uh, And they suggest that smudging with Paolo welcomes creativity, love, and promotes feelings of positivity and joy and has the added benefit of being an insect repellent. So, um, yeah, it's really useful and I love how you can use it in a few different ways, resin, oil, incense and burning the wood itself, but also um, in ritual, like in cleansing rituals, much as you would like smudge with sage, um, you can use it like that, but then you can also use it, which is what I tend to do, is like calling in like uh, the blessing Mm. once I've cleared an area, I'll burn it to call in some some goodness. Beautiful. (laughs) That's why I often light it before we start recording and certainly if we're down in the studio and we've got someone else I'll burn it before we start recording Mm. because I've already cleansed the area and prepped the area and that's just calling in almost like a blessing yeah I love that so I love when I read that um that it does you know promote good fortune and healing and creativity and love and all of that that's how I generally use it for for Mm. those purposes so that's cool so that's that a little is. bit about Palo Santo. And the last thing um, that would be amiss to uh, not mention is just being uh, aware of where you're getting it from and mm. please choose ethical sources and the sustainable um, suppliers will say that they're sustainable. So according to Wikipedia, it doesn't say that it's endangered, but um, on other sites it says that it is. So, I mean, any... Mm like any of um, Mother Nature's sources, when we use something, it's important to be considerate and be thoughtful about that rather than just being a consumer. Definitely, definitely. And Mm. especially if it's not your lineage, to be Mm. mindful. Um, Obviously it's yours and Mm. I love that and I hope you just (laughs) start home when you're using it, that's Mm. for sure. Um, but yeah, to know where it, where it's come from and why you're using it, to know a little bit more about it than just burning it willy-nilly. Yeah, same, because same goes for white sage too. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm, that's true. Do you use it? Not very often. I've got um, I bought the beautiful incense sticks from Rhiannon oh, from yes. uh, Spiritual Toolbox, and Junky I ones. love those. It's mm. beautiful. Um, but she sources everything ethically. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I have those. But no, more for me, um, definitely rosemary and mugwort and the white sage that I buy from an Australian supplier and it's grown ethically, it's grown Mm. organically, it's, yeah, like I know where it comes from. So Mm. they're the kind of the three things that I love to set on fire. (laughs) Burn, baby, burn. (laughs) Burn. (laughs) 
Yeah. And I'm still good. trying to get the hang of bloody charcoal discs. I just can't. Oh, gosh. Oh, it's all head. down to the disc. I think if you get a good charcoal disc, it'll go up. Like I just opened. It was after we were trying at your place <laughs> with some dud ones. I came home and I was like, nah. That's it. I need to have another go. And mine just immediately sparkled all around like it sparked oh, up and then burnt really quickly actually oh, in my little cauldron because I love burning Ooh. shit. <laughs> I love it too. Yeah. I love it too. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. I need to chuck out that packet. I think we were fucking around with that for ages. Yeah. Actually, that will be interesting if people have a absolute favourite brand of charcoal discs that, never fail or have a low rate of failure let us know because we're Please. still on the hunt it's such a hit and miss <laughs> it's like buying bloody avocados you never know what you're gonna get <laughs> they all look the same <laughs> well there we go that is another episode of turns out she's a witch it's a wrap yay it, it was is beautiful that was a lovely one it was a bit of a long one after all but that's okay we had it lots was. to share yeah yep well, we hope you're all well and taking care of one another and yourselves, especially coming up to autumn in the southern and the absolute opposite heading into spring in the northern hemisphere. And we'll catch you next time. See you then.